This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey guys, welcome back to the Getsy Health Podcast. Welcome everybody. We've got an exciting topic. This is another one of my personal favorites because it gets to something that I used to do when I was a therapist. So for those of you who don't know Tristan's history, he uh, got his master's in contemplative psychology and then he was six months away from getting his PhD, but that's when he was diagnosed with cancer. So he's had a lot of uh, psychological, clinical work um, and hours under his belt. So yeah, I'm kind of going to give him the reins on this. So so today I've got to have kind of a, a serious, crucial conversation, heart to heart with my old profession. Um, because I want to talk about how our healthcare system is failing people with depression. Mm-hmm. And, and mental illness in general. Mental illness in general. We're, gonna, we're focusing more on depression today. We're going to primarily focus on depression because that's such a common thing. In fact, one out of 10 people basically is struggling mm-hmm. with depression. And I have a feeling that that's going to get even worse as this upcoming generation starts to get older, yeah. unfortunately. Well, well, and for those of you that are like, well, I'm that nine out of 10, um, do you have anxiety? Because this depression and anxiety are kind of like two sides of the same coin. And so... Um, so a lot of the same issues, just your body is interpreting this disorder either as depression or anxiety. So the the tools that we're going to give on this podcast will help everyone with managing their anxiety and depression. Exactly. And so let's let's talk about how the system is kind of failing people right now. And when I say failing people... I'm not necessarily talking to you specifically because you could be one of those people who you were struggling with depression, you got put on a medication, it solved all of your issues and you've never had anything come up since then. And if that does apply to you, then that's fantastic. You are one of the, basically the 20 to 25% of people who the system does tend to work pretty well for. But for most people, it tends not to go so well. And in fact, according to the research itself, about 20% of patients with depression symptoms will see some kind of relief in about six to eight weeks. Whereas people doing therapy tend to get something similar with their results. But the problem is that when we actually look at the non-published research, so the research that is done, but it doesn't make it to a journal usually because it didn't have very good outcomes, Mm -hmm. those numbers drop in half. So basically outcomes, like they just weren't sexy enough. Exactly. It's like, oh my goodness, this wasn't like, you know, a million people are cured from this. It was just like, "Eh, there is and there isn't. Yeah, we've talked about the issues with the research in a previous episode, but it applies doubly here. And not just Mm -hmm. to the medications, but also to the psychotherapy approaches as well. So And a lot of these uh, a lot of these studies are about medications, as Tristan said, but the the company is funding this research. And so it can be very biased or mm-hmm. um, it has a very, very centralized motive. And one thing we didn't talk about in the research episode is the difference between a significant result and a noticeable result Mm -hmm. because you can have a significant result, which basically just means that it didn't happen by accident. Meaning that, yeah, we're pretty sure that, that this is a real result, but that doesn't mean that the result you're looking at is meaningful in the real world. Mm -hmm. For instance, 
you could see a 1% improvement in your depressive symptoms because of a medication. And that would be considered significant because all other 99 people in the study also had a 1% improvement. But that's not exciting. That doesn't really help you in your life, right? right? Especially when you start to take into account the side effects of these medications. And they can be pretty severe. In fact, a lot of these medications increase the odds that you're going to have suicidal ideation. People wow, literally, terrifying. people literally will start thinking about killing themselves because of their antidepressants that they're taking. Oh, that's so sad. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. And yeah. it doesn't happen to everybody, once again. But the odds of it happening are high enough and the odds of getting real relief are low enough that it makes you question the system that we have in place. It makes you wonder why this is the best we can do for people. Right. It's these medications, it's these therapies that while the therapies aren't going to increase suicidal ideation, I hope, they do cost a lot of money. They take a lot of time. They use up a lot of resources in the system yeah. and the return well, is just not good enough. Well, not to mention all the, the side effects like um, there, you know, like gut dysbiosis for one, uh, li- like your liver enzymes can shoot up. We, we knew, we know someone who, um, who's on antidepressants and um, he did some blood work and he'd only been on them for like two years, I think. And his blood work, his, his liver enzymes mimicked that of an alcoholic. And this is literally the only medication he takes and he eats really well. And so, um, so it can jack up your liver, it can jack up your kidneys. I mean, there, there are a lot of really yucky side effects. So the fact that when people have mental illness and this is the best that our medical system is giving them, we, we deserve more and we want people to not feel like this is it. Like we want to give you tools today to help you embark on your own uh, journey of self-advocacy and healing your body exactly. and your brain, basically. I, I used to work in a clinic that we had a sister clinic full of psychiatrists while we were doing psychology. And so we thought, or I thought at the time, that we were giving the best possible system for people because they were getting the psychotherapy and they were getting the medication support. Yep. And I thought, well, it can't get better than this. We're covering all of our bases. But as I started looking more into it, I started to realize how little we were really addressing. There were so many factors that were not being accounted for. Such as? Well, one of the most important being their nutrition. Yeah. Right? These people, they would come talk to me for an hour a week. They would take their medications every day that their psychiatrist prescribed to them. And then they would go and eat pizza and Cheetos and whatever junk food was at the fast food restaurant, right? And of course, our our success rates were not nearly as good as I would have liked. Yeah. And so I started dabbling, just dabbling in talking to people about nutrition factors. But you couldn't really go into depth with that because... I I would get something between indifference from my supervisors and chastisement, Mm -hmm. telling me to stay in my lane. Right. Right. I remember you coming home and being really frustrated about those things. Yeah, because they they just weren't interested. They were very one-dimensional in their approach. And because they were one-dimensional, they were not addressing the needs of a multi-dimensional person, which is what we all are. Right. So let's talk about a holistic approach, something that could actually be effective for people. Okay. Is that is is now a good time to go into yeah, that? Yeah, let's do it. We can we go can ahead. call it the the gutsy health approach, but really this is 
not unique to us. Um, There are a lot of practitioners out there doing this, but not nearly enough. And the practitioners doing this are not nearly visible enough because the average person, they start to feel depressed and they decide they want to do something about it. They will either go find a therapist who is going to only focus on the psychotherapy or they'll go to their, their general practitioner Mm-hmm. who is probably going to put them on an antidepressant, yep. even though they, in my opinion, have no business giving antidepressants. Right. Because Tell they don't us have a the little training. bit more about that. Is it just because they don't have the training? They have no, no idea what they're doing? No, they, they don't. All they know is that here's the list of medications and you've got medications that are more tolerable, meaning mm-hmm. they're less likely to create really bad side effects like suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. And they've got medications that are more likely to give good results. Yeah. And then they choose kind of the best of both worlds. Like which of these medications is going to be the most likely to help without also leading to these serious side effects. How often do you see, sorry, how often do you see general practitioners giving out uh, medications for depression when they should be going to um, psychiatrists? I have no idea. Uh, I think it's way too often that Mm -hmm. it happens. Although to be fair, I don't know that your average psychiatrist is a lot better. Okay. While the psychiatrist is going to do a better job on average, helping them find a a good match in terms of the medication, they're still only addressing that one dimension, right? They're taking this person who has nutrition factors and interpersonal factors and spiritual factors and environmental factors through the roof. And they're looking at the brain chemistry alone. You know, I was watching a really interesting uh, TED talk on a a psychiatrist who also did did, um, uh, radio. What is it when they measure the brain? Which one is it? Electroencephalograph, EEG. Thank you. And, um, And he was saying, even in his field, it's so frustrating because- Nobody knows how that drug is interacting with their brain mm-hmm. and they're not allowed. He's, I think he's the first in his field and he's been chastised a ton, but he has been doing these, uh, these scans on, on his client's brains according to the medications. And then he's able to see how it's interacting with the brain. Mm-hmm. And, but, but that isn't done in, the, in this field. And so really it's a guessing game. They have no idea how your brain's going to interact with these medications. So you're just playing around with them basically. And they're tweaking and then they're adding and then they're taking away. And it's really scary. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's very, it can be very frustrating. Well, and just to give you an idea of, of how little we really understand the brain chemistry. And, and this is problematic because we look at the brain chemistry as the causative factor, right? We say, oh, your brain chemistry is imbalanced. Therefore, we fix the imbalance and your depression goes away. But what they have found is that, yes, low serotonin can contribute to depression. Mm -hmm. And that's why SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are the the go-to these days for depression. But they've also found that in some cases, people with depression have really high levels of serotonin. Interesting. So how do you explain that? How Mm -hmm. do you explain that? And also, I don't believe there's been any good research on whether or not these imbalances that we see are the cause or the result of depressive symptoms or something else entirely, Mm -hmm. right? So. So we are, we're going about it in an oversimplified manner and we're not looking at enough stuff. So let's, okay, now, now let's start looking at what are the other things. And, you know, quick spoiler alert here. We do believe that every aspect of health should be approached in basically the same way. 
meaning that you need to look at all dimensions of a person's life mm-hmm. in order to heal them. Like hormones, digestion, mm-hmm. exercise, spirituality, everything. Stress yeah. management. It's It all is important for healing to take place. Exactly. And in an ideal world, we would have teams of practitioners, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone could specialize in their thing, yeah. but they would work together so that you're getting a good comprehensive, but also a, a harmonious approach to mm-hmm. whatever is ailing you. Yeah. But that very rarely happens. And so you end up with, in the, in the best scenarios, you can kind of cobble together a team of practitioners that you've chosen yourself, right? And we see that yeah. quite a bit where people are working with us and they're working with a really cool progressive psychiatrist and they're working with some kind of like an infectious disease specialist. I don't know. They've got a physical therapist and and they they figure it out, but it's- But those clinics are rare. Well, and I'm talking about- Few and far between. I'm I'm not even talking about clinics right now. I'm just Mm -hmm. talking about like individuals who have- Refer to Like six different practitioners that Mm -hmm. they see every month. Um, and it's oh, yeah, yeah. super expensive for them. It takes a lot of work on their part to coordinate everything. Right. And then they also have to kind of reconcile all the differences because no matter how great each of these individual practitioners are, they're yeah. probably going to disagree with each other on at least one or two things. Right. So the individual then has to decide what they're going to prioritize and, and who they're going to believe. Exactly. And then you do occasionally, you'll run into a clinic that has a lot of everything um, or you'll have practitioners like us who we are trying to manage as much of it as we can, Mm -hmm. but it's difficult because there's a lot to take into account and we can't be experts on everything. Right. Um, but, uh, for, for most people, most of the time it's, it's really difficult to get this in an ideal scenario. Right. Right. Yep. Um, but, uh, but let's talk about some of the different, areas in a little bit more detail or or maybe before we do that we should talk about epigenetics okay because i feel like it's really important to understand epigenetics if you want to understand how your environment around you and things other than your brain chemistry Mm -hmm. can lead to depression now a lot of you are probably sitting here and you're like well i have i have depression and it's because i have this genetic issue and and we never want to shame anyone I just want to put that out there. Like genes do play a massive role, but the beauty about epigenetics is that you have a substantial amount of control over how your genes are expressed. And so epigenetics literally means upon genes it's or above genes. It's, it's the expression of your genes according to your environment. Now, to, to explain how doctors tumbled across epigenetics, they were doing... Uh, lab testing on fat yellow rats, basically. And these fat yellow rats um, always had fat yellow babies and they were very prone to cancers and, you know, fatty liver stuff and obesity and all that kind of stuff. And they they had a gene called the agouti gene. And so these fat yellow rats had fat yellow babies and these fat yellow babies had their fat yellow babies and so on and so forth. And what happened was um, one day they they fed, they changed this uh, this these rats diet. And all of a sudden, these fat yellow rats that always had fat yellow babies now were producing thin brown babies. And they realized that something in the environment and more specifically their nutrition actually silenced these epigenetic markers. So they turned off this gene completely. And this completely floored scientists because 
before before the 2000s, the understanding was you are your genes and you can't control, like you can't change that. So no matter- Genetics are destiny, yeah, basically. Your genetics, what you're born with is what you're Is what you're with. given, yes. And there's nothing you can do about that. And now doctors and scientists are delving into the world of epigenetics and they are even trying to create drugs now because of this epigenetic model where they- they are trying to develop drugs that turn on and turn off genes according to these biomarkers and stuff. And so it's really, really exciting. And that's exciting for you. And it's exciting for me because that tells us that we have way more control over our genetic code than we have ever been told. And so you you can change your health out- outcomes by changing your environment. It's, it's really, really cool. Do we want to get even nerdier with it and talk about methylation? Um, touch on it just a little bit. All right. So, so there are a few different ways that epigenetics take place. One of the, the first way I think that they really figured out was through what's called methylation. And, uh, in, in a really simplified explanation here is that you, when you add a methyl group to your DNA segment, you can essentially shut off that segment, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and this happens on an actual kind of a biological level, right? So it's a physical thing that happens. Another thing that can happen is something called histone can go and tighten the DNA coil. If you are familiar with the the double helix, which is what makes up DNA, it kind of coils and this histone will cause that coil to either tighten or loosen. Mm -hmm. And as it tightens, more and more of these genes actually get hidden so that they can't be transcribed and turned into uh, amino acids and proteins and therefore become physical reality, right? Um, Or it can loosen and that exposes more of them to be utilized by the Mm -hmm. genes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so so this is something that's literally happening on a, a cellular level, yep. microcellular level, and then it turns into something like the inability to digest fat yep. or the inability to produce enough serotonin in the case mm-hmm. of depression. Or the inability for your immune system to tag cancer cells, for instance. Uh-huh. And what's even cooler, like Jean-Yves was describing, is that they found that the things around us and the mm-hmm. things that we put into us can actually affect these processes of methylation or the exactly. histones that are tightening the coils or loosening the coils. So food, emotions, the air we breathe, the thoughts we think, virtually everything, everything we encounter turns these genes on and off. An article I just came across today, actually, that caught my eye is that our weight can affect the odds of us experiencing depression. They mm-hmm. found that for every 10 kilograms or 22 pounds extra that a person has on their body, they have a 17% higher chance of experiencing depression. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's interesting. that's really interesting and yeah. also very concerning because we have an increasing average weight right. in our society, yeah. right? Yes. I believe almost all cultures are experiencing increases in weight over time, Yeah, which means depression should be following suit. I think by, I think it's 2030 to 2040, one in three kids are expected to be obese. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's what adults are right now in America, but for kids, that's on the rise too. And so what does that mean for the mental health of our children as well? Because yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not the weight, 
the weight. It's the systemic issue. It's the malnourishment that's leading to the weight gain and the depression and the anxiety and the mental imbalances. So while the bulk of our research money is going towards figuring out more medications to throw at this problem, what it really should be doing is going into how do we create systems Mm -hmm. that help people transform their lifestyle from the inside out Yes. And generate happiness as a natural side effect of just living their lives. Exactly. Right. Yes. So let's let's jump into some of these different factors and we'll start with our favorite, which is nutrition. Always nutrition. <laughs> Do you want to go ahead? Uh yeah. So let's talk about nutrition. Now there are if you wanna if you wanna really get into the details of this, there's a study done that really looks at the interaction between nutrition and our epigenetics. And you can see all the research that kind of points in this direction, which for some reason tends to get ignored in in the actual treatment of this for most people. But but we know that certain foods will increase the likelihood of certain genes being turned on and or off that can make us sicker and or healthier. Yeah. So obviously fruits and vegetables, legumes, healthy fats, you know, good proteins. Um, also at, uh, on the same boat of nutrition, um, your gut biome is ginormous. Your your gut, um, the health of your gut, which is nurtured through your nutrition, produces 200 times more serotonin than your actual brain. And so it's actually considered the second brain. And so when we are destroying our gut and our gut biome with things like antibiotics and processed foods and inflammatory foods and sugar and wheat and you know grains that are drenched in glyphosate, which is literally an antibiotic. Um, we talk about this all the time, guys. But uh, we are seeing more and more that the microbiome seems mm-hmm. to be tied in with everything. virtually everything out there. And mental health is no yes, different here. It's huge. So there was a study that showed that I think I'm going to butcher these numbers. I apologize, guys. But for every time you take an antibiotic, your your chances of depression symptoms increases between 30 and 40%. And that's for every single antibiotic. And what are we doing to our kids now? Every time they get like a mild ear infection or a cold, we're pumping them with antibiotics over and over. How many kids by the age of five have been on several rounds of antibiotics? Right. Several. And hopefully that's a trend that will change really soon or is hopefully already changing because we're having all these warnings about antibiotic resistant bacteria and diseases out there mm-hmm. because of overuse of antibiotics. Well, what's really interesting, and I, I kind of want to touch on this, is I've had several nurses or people that are training to be a nurse reach out to me and they say, you know, in our textbooks, we e- like it even recognizes that antibiotics are creating um, these issues, these these um, immune system compromisations. But yet doctors aren't doing anything about it right now. And, like and they're not changing their protocol. So they understand that it's causing the problem, but the protocol is not being 
changed. Right. And that's challenging because actually filtering down all this information to every doctor out there is is yeah. not very straightforward. It's not like they have a head office that calls a meeting for all the doctors to come together and talk right. about this. I mean, this could happen in a hospital and maybe hospitals are better about it, hopefully. Yeah. But you still have a lot of the independent general practitioners who they've been in family medicine for 40 years. They haven't looked at a research study since the 1980s because they're, right. they're busy, they're happy with with how things are going. They don't feel the need to learn more. And they're never even going to find out about this no. epidemic we're having of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Exactly. Or they know about it, they're concerned about it, but they don't have the training to know what to do instead of that. Right. So they just continue doing what has worked. And they basically are kicking the can down the road, hoping that someone will figure it out later. I, I mean... I was even told, I don't even think that, I, I think that's true, but doctors do get in trouble for not following protocols by their, you know, by whoever's above them. I, I know of someone's pediatrician who was telling the parents to do supplements and herbs and so on and so forth. And he got in trouble several times. Um, and they were like, you know what? You need to go back to what we have been trained to do. And so there, I think there's like a lot of, I'm obviously not a doctor, so I don't know that realm very well. But um, again, these are just secondhand stories, but I think it's it's way more political than that. Maybe, but I'm talking about the independent family practitioners oh, yeah. who they don't have a boss. Yeah. They're, they're hanging a shingle out somewhere in the community. They're seeing people and they're not really interacting with other True. medical professionals other than the ones in their own practice. Yeah, and, and you also have to keep in mind that while you might feel personally that mm -hmm. you don't want to or prescribe these antibiotics, um, if you have a mother come in with a sick child whose ears are hurting uh, and she is demanding antibiotics... It's not yeah. so easy to say, right? Eh. Especially because it's a cultural thing too. You became yeah. a doctor. Why did you become a doctor? I I can't really predict, but I would guess that wanting to be helpful is a big factor in that. Right. So sending somebody away without their solution can mm -hmm. be really tricky for a lot of people. Right. But uh, we're way sidetracked. We're talking about antibiotics, and we're Sorry. supposed to be talking about, about nutrition, nutrition, epigenetics, but, and, and but depression. But the antibiotics that that affects your nutrition immensely because it inhibits your body's ability to absorb your nutrients. It mm -hmm. inhibits your gut biome's ability to digest it and help you assimilate it, basically. It, so yeah. antibiotics is huge with nutrition. Exactly. And I mean, we could talk about other factors. We won't go into a lot of detail on the ideal nutrition because we've talked about that before and mm -hmm. we will talk about that again. But I do want to, there's a few things I want to touch on yeah. specifically. And you guys, B vitamins is huge, especially for um, amino acid manufacturing, like your body manufacturing amino acids and neurotransmitters. So you absolutely need to focus on your B6s, your B12s, your folate, um, mm. because that, again, that just helps with neurotransmitters and, and your brain runs off of neurotransmitters. Just make sure that they're good vitamins. Yes. Right? We've had a vitamin episode. Go listen to that. Don't don't just go buy the cheapest B complex you can find because exactly. that'll just cause other problems for you down the line. Another thing, can we talk about fats real fast? I Let's, know you love fats. I do love fats. <laughs> Omega-3s, you guys. DHEA, um, it makes up most of the cellular membranes and the synapses and the dendrites of neurons. So make sure that you are getting tons of really good DHEA. 
So if you and suffer, the myelin sheath, yes, right, which exactly. is important for conductance, super important. And um, so diets high in DHEA can improve connectivity of the brain circuits and increase energy production in the mitochondria of the new, of the neurons. Um, so, um, but let's talk on the opposite end when we have pro-inflammatory fats. Do you want to talk about that or do we want to move on? So, well, I mean, we could talk about the bad fats. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. The, the, because so it's going to exacerbate the problem. If we are eating processed foods with trans fats, it's going to make things worse. Right. And so once again, when we talk about bad fats, one of the, the categories I'm personally referring to are the industrial seed oils or the, the nasty stuff that has been so highly refined yeah. that it hardly resembles a plant anymore. Yep. It's, it's an industrial oil, basically. We're talking about sunflower oil, safflower oil, vegetable oil. Uh, what else Canola. goes on? Canola oil. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, the, for me, the really big ones are the sunflower and safflower. They're because everything. If you go to everything. the chip aisle, I've said this before, I'll say it again now. If you go to the chip aisle and look at the ingredients list on virtually everything in that aisle, depending on yeah. what kind of grocery store you're in, you will see sunflower and or safflower oil there. Exactly. It's terrible. It's um, so because bad. what happens is they refine it so much that it is super easily oxidized, mm-hmm. right? And, and when I say oxidized, I mean, it goes rancid and you are essentially ingesting rancid oils that creates inflammation, which are creating huge amounts of mm-hmm. inflammation, which then leaches all your antioxidants and your body's energy to kind of process and move it along out of your body. So it's a lot of damage control when you're eating those kinds of oils. Right. Not to mention, and maybe it's kind of the same thing, but those oils tend to be really high in Mm omega-6s. Yes. And omega-6 fatty acids are Mm pro-inflammatory, which is not necessarily a bad thing. We need to be able to create inflammation when there is damage. That's what helps us clear out that damage. But when we have a super imbalanced ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s, which are the anti-inflammatory fatty acids, then the inflammation essentially rages out of control like a wildfire Mm -hmm. and leads to all kinds of problems in our system, including inflammation in your brain, which can lead to depression. Exactly. And anxiety. And and anxiety and all <laughs> so, kinds of mental health. Your issues. brain is literally going to be on fire, and that's never a good thing. So, so the chips you're eating, the fries you're eating, all of that disgusting. Also, the sugar that you're eating, because blood sugar imbalances completely throw off your brain chemistry too. Yep. So which also watch your inflammation. As yes, well. which also causes inflammation. So watch your sugar intake, guys. Um, if you are eating the standard American diet, it is not helping you. It is making the situation worse. And just to put your mind at ease. Eating fat does not make you fat. It doesn't. All right. Eating fat does not make you fat. Eating sugar makes you fat. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Eating cholesterol does not raise your cholesterol. It doesn't. It doesn't. Eggs have so much cholesterol in them. There is not a correlation between eating a bunch of eggs and having really high cholesterol levels. Exactly. So put your mind at ease. Yeah. Eat your good Eat fats. Good fats. Eat Leave your out the good bad fats. Take out the sugar because the sugar is so bad. And then obviously, like, don't smoke alcohol, um, that kind of stuff. Do, you we, guys. do we need to say that? I mean, <laughs> you know that. Maybe we you do. Know that. Okay, now, should we, yeah. now, real quick though, nutrition is not necessarily a one size fits all scenario. 
Um, just because there's a system that works for most people doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. And so getting personalized uh, testing counseling. done, yeah. counseling done can be extremely important, especially if you've got a scenario like depression that is sticking around, it's chronic. Yeah. Um, you, you, you probably want to work with a professional. You probably want to get some kind of testing done yeah. so that you can target the low hanging fruit, so to speak, and get results faster and get better results. Exactly. Now, um, I, and, and maybe this is you out there that, um, and that's why I'm going to say this, but I had a client come in, young kid too, probably like 20. And, um, and he was coming in for, uh, for some mental illness stuff and depression and anxiety. And, and I, and I asked him, I'm like, when last did you feel good? And he said to me, I don't think I've ever felt good. And I said, well, tell me like, what did you eat growing up as a kid? I don't think this kid ever ate vegetables or fruits or anything. Everything was processed. So if you are that person that says there is no hope for me, let's go back a little bit. There's always hope. If you give the body like an inch, it'll take a mile because the body is designed to heal itself when you give it the building blocks. And maybe ever since infancy, you know, I I always go back to the analogy of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf and the pigs building their house of straw, sticks and bricks. Maybe since a kid, you've been building a house of straw or sticks and that's why you feel so crummy. So give your body a chance, like give nutrition a chance to build your body back with bricks so that you can feel good again or that you just can't feel good, period. And right along with that, you've got to give it time. Yes. Right? Eating well for two weeks. It's is not going to do it. It's, it's not going to do it. it Especially might. when you've been eating for decades, the standard American diet, like give yourself like uh, that's why our gutsy health program is we have a six month membership that we encourage everyone to do because you need a solid half year to note. Like, I don't want to say you'll only notice things after six months because you improve over and over and over. But mm-hmm. once you like ingraining it in your, in your, in your lifestyle and your family's lifestyle for six months, like it, it's just golden. It, it makes all the difference. And so that's why we do this coaching program for as long as six months, because sometimes that's how long it, it needs and takes. Yep. So, okay. Should we move on? Let's talk about sleep. Um, this is, this is one that's hard for me to talk about because I am not a great sleeper. We have two little kids. We have two, two little businesses. kids. We've got businesses to run. And I mean, a lot of times we record this <laughs> podcast late at night. So, yeah. so we, I've done better this week, actually. I've Good done, job. I've done pretty well, but we don't generally get enough sleep. So yeah. we're, we're hypocrites when we talk about this, but sleep is so important to your mental health. Yeah. It is so important. Not to mention it, it's one of those things that gets into a vicious circle really fast because mm-hmm. when you're depressed, you tend not to sleep well. When you don't sleep well, you're more likely to get depressed. Yep. And those two things can feed off of each other like crazy. Yep. But what I found in all these years of working with people, in fact, I worked with people specifically on sleep for a long, long time, for years. Most people do not understand the basics of good sleep. They don't. They complain about not being able to sleep well, but then when we talk about their sleep habits, their their hygiene is absolutely horrendous. And when I say sleep hygiene, hygiene, I'm talking about things like having a nice bedtime routine to get yourself into the sleep mode, right? You're kind of training your body to be 
ready for sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about going to bed at a consistent time every day, which I don't do, but, <laughs> but that's okay because I don't have sleep problems. Um, where I'm talking about um, not laying awake in bed all night long, staring mm-hmm. at the ceiling. That is one of the worst things a person can do because it trains your body to be like laying awake in bed. Yeah. Um, or having like bright lights on at night, looking yeah. at your phone that has that blue oh. light that stimulates your brain. Keeping you your know? phone on next to your bed mm-hmm. is awful. awful. Especially, and I, I still don't understand this. There are people, you might be one of them, you keep your phone volume on next to your bed <laughs> all night long. And every time somebody sends you an Instagram DM at three in the morning, it wakes you up. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're getting up to check it. I really hope you're not waking up to check it. But it's, I guarantee it is yeah. not helping you get good quality like sleep. Some good sleep hygiene is put your cell phone in a different room even. Have a clock with an, like an alarm clock. At the like, very least, put it on airplane mode. Yes. Just put it on airplane mode. But but then also uh, another good habit is don't even have a TV in your room, you oh, know, yeah. because TVs are very stimulating. And so keep the TV for the living room area, mm-hmm. but your bedroom needs to be your sleeping area. There are only two things that you should be doing on your bed. One of them is sleep. So... <laughs> Do you know Tristan, what the other is? <laughs> Tristan with the bad show. <laughs> That's not a joke. That's an actual piece of qualified advice. Yes, from you, a psychologist. You are allowed, no, not a psychologist. Well, yeah, that's true. A failed psychologist. Fail. You are allowed to have sex on your bed, but besides that, don't do anything except for sleep there. Yes, okay. Guys. Um, and then the thing about sleep is that most people don't realize how bad their sleep is. Um, because they've never actually checked it. Mm-hmm. But it is so easy to check your sleep now. You can go to the app store for your phone, download whatever sleep tracker app is there. There's They're probably free. And yeah. then you just put it on the corner of your bed when you're sleeping at night, and it'll track how well you're sleeping yeah. because it can sense all of your movements and things. Now, that's if you, pretty cool. It, that is really cool. Now, if you're that person that's like, I've tried everything under the sun, let's give some people some tips. Um, our big, our f- most favorite thing, you guys, is CBD. I can't, t- we probably get weekly messages where people have tried our CBD and they are now sleeping or they've had the best sleep of their lives or they have come off of a sleeping aid um, because the CBD was more effective than that sleeping aid or that sleeping medication. Yeah, and, and I do want to be very cautious about saying that there is a substance that's going to magically make your sleep better because we'll we'll do an episode on sleep sometime and go into detail and all this stuff, but we make the same mistakes with sleep as we do with everything else. We throw medications at people right. and then they don't work, but people are now hooked on these medications and it causes right. problems for them. CBD is not addictive. It's not habit forming. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a better option. But, but if you have terrible sleep hygiene, yeah. this is not a replacement. Right. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take it, but don't expect that you're suddenly going to be getting a solid eight hours every night while you're still doing all those well, yes. things that we talked about. So it's it's one of those like in case of emergencies things where you have tried everything and like your body is just so wired that you need like some external help to kind of like throw a weighted blanket on your brain to help you calm down and sleep. And then because, you know, sometimes we are just extremely anxious or there's something chemically unbalanced. And until we can get that healed up, like we have to sleep. And so that's where CBD is a really good um, aid to help you get to that point of 
sleeping by yourself, healing your body, healing your brain, brain chemistry to allow you to sleep again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much more that we could say about sleep, but uh, we'll save it for the sleep episode. Yeah. So let's move on. Um, let's talk about stress and oh, depression. Stress now, when we talk about stress, we're not talking about the stress that comes from being depressed or anxious. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the stress that is not necessary, but is filling up our lives, yep. right? This is where we are overcommitted to a million different things. It's where we are constantly running late because we don't really have a good plan for our schedule. Mm-hmm. It's where we are just always burnt out, always always burnt out and And, never taking any time for ourselves. And now you guys, like we're talking about all the subcategories that affect our epigenetics. Stress is probably one of the biggest. There is tons of research out there saying that stress management or just increased stress will affect your epigenetic and your DNA. um, What do I want to say? Print out (laughs) your, your expression. Yeah. Your gene Um, expression. Yeah. It, it affects your gene expression immensely. And so I know we are constantly hitting the nutrition um, bullet points over and over, but Mm -hmm. I think we need to do like a month, like no stress November or something like that, where (laughs) all we do is talk about stress management because this can make or break you. There are people that are literally inducing disease because they are so stressed. Um, And, you know, like, and it's creating all kinds of, I even know, I'll give you guys an example of, I I remember when things were really bad with, uh, with my mental health during Tristan's uh, cancer journey. And I literally created pains all over my body and neurological symptoms. Like I literally fried my nerves, Mm -hmm. you know, from stress. Like that was all stress induced. Um, I started, I literally got heartburn within a week of Tristan's diagnosis. I couldn't digest. I couldn't absorb nothing. And this was all because of epigenetics, because my stress turned on genes that created poor, um, that, that started to not only attack my nervous system, but stop my body from absorbing food. Like that's, and it was fast too. It was like, like I said, literally within a week or two. So stress is huge, guys. So you could say genetically that Janique already had a kind of a tendency toward heartburn. We don't know for sure, but there's potentially some genes in her. I had never had heartburn my entire life. Not even while I was pregnant, you guys. Totally understood. What I'm saying though, is that there could be genes in there that lean towards heartburn, but it was the environmental factor that tripped that that wire. Switched it on. Right. That, that turned it into a real thing, not just a possibility. Into raging digestive issues. Exactly. So so stress is something that we really do need to figure out. And one of the absolute most powerful things that we can do to manage our stress is to delete social media. Mm-hmm. And I say that as That's someone who so loves true. social media, I spend a lot of time on Facebook. Um, it is not helping us. You yeah. know what else isn't helping us? Netflix. No. Because it has replaced our downtime. Mm-hmm. And not in a way that is recharging for us. Right. Unfortunately, watching TV, watching movies does not regenerate our emotional well-being it the doesn't. same way that reading a good book or meditating or yoga mm-hmm. or just being silent and sitting and doing nothing yeah. can do it. We've, we've completely lost the art of doing that. 
I heard something really cool the other day where he said, you need to marinate in positivity for hours a day. Yum. And what are we doing? We're marinating in negativity and we're fighting with people on the internet that we don't even know. Mm-hmm. And we're listening to news reports on the most depressing things globally. So we're trying to take on the sadness and burdens of the entire planet. And it's just weighing us down and it's making us feel worse. You know what we're going to do? This is what we're going to do. I just decided we are going to do a group challenge at some point in the next couple of months where we're going to all do a media fast together. But half of our business is the media. (laughs) (laughs) I may live to regret this. (laughs) So I can like, I can totally turn off Facebook, but Instagram, I don't know. Well, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. Yeah. We'll figure out the details. But you gotta I, give me like heads up when you make these exclamations. Maybe right? maybe we'll just <laughs> pre-create all of our social media stuff for right. a week and then we'll do this. But but I think it would be a really awesome opportunity for everyone together, even though we'll be apart and not able to communicate because it, there's no social media. It doesn't even have to be that extreme. Like just unfollowing people that bring negativity and sadness or you know, it's it's just limiting or filtering those accounts from your life because well, you can follow a lot of really positive accounts and scroll through that every day for hours if you want. That's true. You can, but if you're like the average person, your feed is not full of positivity, right? Mm, it's true. full of all kinds of things that will freak you out. And mm-hmm. then there's the news, which people are getting through with social media now, but it's just, mm-hmm. there's more depressing the stuff every day. Stress is an issue and we need to protect ourselves from yes. it. We have to consciously create a bubble of positivity that stress cannot get into. And we need to spend time in that bubble every single day. Every day. Um, I'll just give you guys, again, like I'm no positivity expert, but just what helped me get out of my extremely deep and dark black hole. Um, because I was, I was in a really bad place for about a year, like really bad where I couldn't function and I was having like panic attacks all the time. What I did was I found a YouTube um, affirmations. It was like two hours long. And the first thing I'd do in the morning is switch that on and these affirmations would play over and over. And I played the exact same affirmations every day so that it became subconscious and almost like a prayer where I started memorizing the lines and repeating them as he was saying them. And, um, And it helped me to reprogram all my trauma and all of my negative tapes into positive tapes. So when I started seeing the negative tapes again, and when I started spiraling, I would just push play on this again. And it would, it would, it, it was, it's like Pavlov's dogs, you know, mm-hmm. with the bell. And I was like, instantly picked up. Now that didn't happen in one day or two days. That happened after like two months of listening to this over and over and over again, because for the first year and a half, I was marinating in a cancer world mm. where everything was depressing and I did so much cancer research that was depressing. And fear, and so, fear provoking. So much, so fear provoking. And so, um, and so it took a while to get to that place where I'm like, okay, I'm finally healing now. I'm finally feeling a little more normal again. I'm finally um, reprogramming my subconscious thoughts to work for me instead of against me like everyone is dying. And so, um, so that's just a little tip for you guys. Like I said earlier, marinate and positivity. That can be books, that can be audiobooks, that can be really positive podcasts, that can be, like I said, the affirmations, but make sure you are listening to it every day. Create boundaries with people that are toxic for you. Mm-hmm. You know, develop really healthy relationships. Like 
where are your thoughts daily? And then change that. And stop holding on to relationships that have been dragging you down for mm-hmm. years and years and years. Those relationships either need to go through a boot camp to be improved or they need to be ended. That exactly. I mean, it's, it's that Boundaries. simple. Okay. Um, and actually, we just covered relationships. Yay. Great. There so, we go. And we've kind of covered spirituality as well. I, I don't really want to go into a lot of detail on that. And I'm not talking about religion per se. I'm not even talking about yoga per se. I'm just saying, find something that gives you a sense of awe and spend time in that. Mm -hmm. That could be nature for you. If you're one of those like super hardcore science loving atheists, then that could be listening to some scientist who is really inspiring to you. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I'm not thinking of any right now. Who but. is the guy that did that that stars show? On, yeah, um, what's they, his face? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's or, fantastic. Or the guy who did the the earlier ones as well. He had some really awesome stuff. The point is, find the thing that makes you feel a sense of wonder mm-hmm. and spend time with that thing. Yeah, a lot of people. For people, a lot. Okay, let me just restart that. <laughs> for a lot of people, for a lot of people, that's nature. Nature, you know, yeah. going into nature and just feeling that sense of awe and um, beauty, and just you know, I, I read somewhere, you guys, this is amazing that it takes like two hundred, like the power of like two hundred atomic bombs to grow produce, like to grow a field of food. Isn't that amazing? that that just naturally happens daily, that plants just grow. I mean, so anyways, back to nature. Nature is amazing. If it inspires a sense of awe, like go to it. When we go back to nature, we heal. And we're saying this from a place of privilege because we literally live in a canyon full of nature. Some people live in big cities where it's a bit of a trek to get to nature. Mm -hmm. That's fine. What is the thing that does that for you, Right. right? Yep. Maybe it's just pondering on the the largeness of the universe and the smallness of us. Maybe it's going to a coffee shop and sipping on something that's healthy. Listening to live music. Yes, listening Mm -hmm. to live music or something. Exactly. So that covers spirituality. Let's talk about exercise briefly. It's Mm -hmm. important. You should do it. We need to do an entire episode on exercise. Because you guys, okay, there is one organ in your body that is specifically designed to grow around movement. And that is your brain. What? And so when you are moving, you are stimulating your brain. You're jumpstarting your brain. You're nurturing your brain. You are creating more neurotransmitters for your brain. Like you have to move for your brain to thrive. When you stop moving, your brain starts to die. Literally, it atrophies. It's kind it of gets smaller. That's kind of ironic because there are so many people out there who are super cerebral and mm-hmm. they they love to think and they hate to move. Yes, and they're literally starving their most valuable asset because now, they're not exercising. Now, mental stimulation does create brain strength too, mm-hmm. so that's important as well. But it's not and enough. So, so that stimulates BDNF as well as exercise, mm-hmm. and that's why we are saying like you need to have a holistic approach. You need to incorporate all of these things to nurture and strengthen your 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 nervous system again. Because because healing was always meant to be holistic. It was always, that's how our bodies are designed. And when we try to compartmentalize our healing, that's where we fail. That's like, we'll get short-term gains, but long-term, like it's not sustainable. And so we really need to, and, and the beauty about epigenetics too, guys, is it's all in your control. You can control all of this. 
you just have to, well, one, believe us that you can, and then go and do, and then take the action steps. And that's, and I understand that's super hard, especially with depression, when you are in a really dark place where all you want to do is lay in bed all day. It's really hard. So um, I will give you advice that someone else gave me and it like reach out for help, have someone keep you accountable until you can keep yourself accountable, recruit some help. And that, that is one more thing on the relationships that needs to be covered. And that's that we are at our core tribal beings. Mm-hmm. We were designed to live in a, a tribe. And that means that there is a big aspect of us, no matter how antisocial you might think you are, you probably need people at yeah. least somewhat. Mm-hmm. And when you have those good people around you that support you, that accept you unconditionally and that want the best for you, it can make so much of a difference. Exactly. But too many of us are trapping ourselves in toxic relationships and don't believe that there's the possibility of the good relationships. I do want to talk about one last thing, Um, the toxic relationship with ourselves, like the negative tapes we play to ourselves where, you know, we are unworthy. We're not pretty enough. We're not skinny enough. We're not this enough. And we really need to change that. Like that, that is just as damaging to our epigenetic makeup as anything. Yeah. There's a book that I love. It's called The Untethered Soul. And um, it actually talks about that voice in your head that keeps putting you down. And it helps to uh, break down exactly what that voice is and how to, I don't want to say dissociate from it, but how to put it in its corner, basically, and recognize that that voice is not you. And you don't have to listen. And the problem is that that voice is often reflected in society. So we're not only hearing it internally, but we're Mm -hmm. hearing it from everyone around us. And they're saying it about themselves and they're saying it indirectly about us. And that makes it so difficult to To break free from from it. But consciously becoming aware of it is Mm -hmm. one of the most valuable things that we can do. Yeah. And then once you become aware of it, actively working to create something different, something that works better for you. Yeah. You guys, and and just to, I I know I keep saying this is our last thing we're saying, but (laughs) you know, when it comes to mental health too, you're probably thinking this is a part-time job. No, it's a full-time job. Like when you want to heal your mind, when you want to heal your life, this is a full-time job. It bleeds into every single aspect of your life. And if you have chronic depression- along with several other issues out there, there is nothing more important than this. Nothing. Because if you're depressed, you are not enjoying anything. That's one of the Mm -hmm. symptoms of depression is anhedonia, the inability to enjoy things in your life. Yeah. Because you're constantly thinking about what isn't good. And you're constantly worried about what will go wrong. Yeah. So this is your primary task in life, to find happiness. Yeah. Let's and our next episode with Elia is really going to dive into that. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more that we could say about it. I didn't even get to talk about gratitude, which for me was the single most powerful thing that pulled me out of the depression that came with finding out that I was going to die from cancer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but we'll get into that. We've got plenty of time, plenty of other episodes. So I think that we can kind of wrap up for today, right? Have we kind of hit it all? I think so. So we've talked about how society is getting more and more depressed and we're doing a terrible job on average of dealing with it. And that if we want to deal with it, we have to 
fully understand epigenetics and how they play into it, which Mm -hmm. means that we need to address every dimension of our lives from nutrition to sleep, to stress, Mm -hmm. to spirituality, to exercise, to relationships, to everything. And really take responsibility for that. And we need to stop believing that we can throw a chemical into that mix of everything else going on and think Mm -hmm. that it's just going to magically solve all the problems without any side effects. It can be a great short-term tool, but allow yourself to heal yourself naturally mm-hmm. and then talk to your doctor about maybe weaning yourself off of those medications you know so that this so that you can have long-term mental health and wellness and not have it get worse and worse and worse where your medications have to be upped and upped and upped and if you're going to psychotherapy that's fantastic yes. you can keep doing that but stop treating it as one hour a week where you work on your depression and yep. then you go back to your life. Yep. Right. Because like we said, like this is a full-time job. That one hour with your therapist is just a drop in the ocean. Honestly speaking, that one hour with your therapist should be little more than a check-in to it's, make sure yeah. you've been doing all these other things that exactly. we've been talking about. Yep. And he's holding you accountable or she's holding you accountable for all the homework that you're supposed to be doing every single day. You so you it. guys, I hope you feel a little more empowered with some of these tools that you do have so much control of. Like you, you do not have to be a victim to your brain chemistry. And you or, do not have to be dependent on someone else like a doctor to mm-hmm. give you the answer. It is not going to come from outside of you. No, exactly. So good luck, guys. Reach out to us if you have any questions. If you want to know more about the Gutsy Health program, because if you feel like nutrition is really overwhelming and lifestyle changes is really overwhelming, we have a program for that where we are literally coaching you through your nutritional changes every single day. You have access to us every day. And if you have questions, you just shoot out a text to either us or the Gutsy Health Group and we're answering that for you. And we're giving you your nutrition protocols and your health plans. And we're helping you understand this world that is so foreign to people, but really should be our norm. Like this Gutsy Health Program is taking you back to the basics again because we are so far removed from that. And so if you are ready to jump in and make that nutritional lifestyle change. And on Sundays, we actually have Super Soul Sundays. So we, we talk do. about mental health a lot and meditation a lot. And we give people tools on how to meditate and stuff. Like and you can learn more about the membership at gutsy.ch slash membership. Or just go to www.mygutsyhealth.com. Anyways, thanks, you guys. Hopefully you got something really valuable from this and we will talk to you next week. See you later.